It's Bowie versus Tillian. Is this you and I am Chloe? Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy or a villain. Oh, it's time, time for Bowie versus Dillion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And Charlie and Jake, that's us, we both loved, continuing to love, David Bowie and Bob Dylan in the year... You say it, Chaz. In the year 2000! <laughs> in the year 2000! <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I feel like we should make some Y2K jokes or something, but that's just that's yeah. tired, man. 20-year anniversary... Well, actually... The 10th anniversary of the 10th anniversary of the year 2000. Jake, I'm going to share an anecdote. I don't remember if you were there or not. Were, okay. you, were we in the same place for New Year's Eve on 2000? Was it at, the, at, the, was at it, the Kane's house? I sure was. I remember that. I thought we were there. Yeah. Uh, so everyone was all worried. This is just to bring you back and set the stage, everybody. <laughs> I remember this. Everyone was all freaked out about Y2K you know, and what was going to happen. The grid was going to completely crash and all of the nuclear weapons were going to go off. Yep. And uh, The computers and then, were done. Right, and everything was explode, and we were all going to become like Mad Max style road warriors. Absolutely, kind of like we are now, really. Nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> this is the real. This is the real problem. Um. So, and then you know, then it rolled over the year two thousand. Nothing happened, but at the party we were both apparently at, so I couldn't remember you were at this one or not. Yeah, you would have been at college by the time. Um, I was yeah. still in high school. I was back. Uh, so we were at a friend's house, and, you know, we're doing the big countdown, and everyone's, you know, like, having fun, and, you know, people getting ready to kiss each other and stuff. And then, you know, five, four, three, two, one, happy new year! Boom! All power goes out in the house. Yeah, that was awesome. Like, completely <laughs> black, all power going And I remember thinking, like, oh, man, it was actually... It happened! <laughs> And I remember, uh, was it your, I don't know if you were dating her at the time or not. I don't even remember. Um, your girlfriend or ex-girlfriend's house. And I remember her running around like we got windows like, oh, the neighbors got power. They must have a generator. Oh, that neighbor's got power too. They also must have a generator. What had happened was that uh, a couple friends of ours had snuck downstairs while we were hiding out. No one's paying attention to this. Oh, and, uh, man. And hit the breaker, right? At so good. It was so good. I mean, it's... Break. As prank, oh, everyone else, all the rest of us fools were like, yeah, we'll just watch the TV. And somebody, uh -huh. was that Scott? I think it was the Scots. It was, was both the Scots. Two Scots involved, yep. Okay, the two Scots. I mean, that's that's an all-timer. That's an oh, all-timer. Oh, so good. It's one of the best pranks yeah. ever. Yeah. So good. Shout out to so the there, Scots, So there man. gets me a little bit into the feeling for. All right. In the year 2000. Hey, before we get any further, Jake, uh, you remember what you wore on your torso in the year 2000? Uh, I think it was probably a, a ratty T-shirt. Um, I may, uh, I may have been experimenting. But now oh. that you're an adult, yeah. that you're adults, yep. graying at the temples, yeah. approaching 40. And other places. <laughs> in yes. the year 2020. 2020. Uh, you don't wear ratty t-shirts anymore. No. You wear really nice, yeah. high-quality, super-fly t-shirts. Uh -huh. Is there is, that about you. Are they specially branded and or have a cool Sometimes. picture on them? Yeah. And uh, you could do so, Jake, with yeah. your very own, which I know you've already ordered. 
I have. Uh, Bowie versus Dylan t-shirt. Yeah. Man. It exists. Brand new design put together by me and my almost 20-year-old art, well, 15-year-old art degree. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Only. And I had a good time doing it. And I think it looks pretty pretty sweet. You know, what's funny no. is that I, I ordered it and I didn't even know that you had made it. I just saw it online and I was like, <laughs> this is so uh, great. I think this I, I, I think this must have something okay, to do with been, my own about the surfer podcast. Jake. And that, I just I, I just I'm ordered it. It's not hard to believe, Jake. That's um, a, a stretching believability here. Well, okay. this whole thing beggars belief, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we've been almost, we've been, we're in our 59th episode of the yes. podcast. Yeah, that, that is unbelievable. And yet here we are. So Here we are. Here we are. So uh, if you want more info about that sweet shirt, there's tons of options, color options, uh, fabric options. Mm. You know, if you like the super soft one, you want the athletic one. You want the one that's cheaper than the other ones, whichever one you want. It's all up to you. Yeah. Uh, head over to Bowie versus Dylan.com. That's Bowie vs Dylan.com. Mm. And uh, there's more info there. We're on Redbubble or search for us on Redbubble. You can find us on Redbubble. Redbubble. Hey, you can also get yeah. some stickers. Get some yeah, stickers. stickers. Stickers are I dope. I've that before, but there's stickers in there as well. Yeah. Get one yeah. or two. Yeah. You know, get the really big one and then put it on a t shirt. Just slightly yeah. cheaper that way. You can do that. <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. Uh, let's talk about what Bowie was doing in 2000. Hey, he was not. Go for uh, it. I, I don't think he was, you know, perpetrating hilarious pranks right at the start of the year 2000. But I, mean, I, I can't confirm that. I can't confirm that. He no, might have been. He know. might have been snickering in the bushes on the in, in the year 2000. <laughs> we can only assume that he was in Oslo, Wisconsin. Snickering in the bushes. It was him the whole time. It was him the whole time. Yep. Yeah. Uh but it was 2000 for Bowie was an easy go year. He had released uh, the album Hours in 1999, mm-hmm. uh, which marked a new period, which was soft rocky and dad rocky, and Hours is not a very good album. Mm. Okay, this is 2000, not 1999, so we don't have to talk about Hours very much. Chill out. Um, but he's in a good he's in a good state. He's in a good mind. Uh, mom is pregnant. Oh, oh la la, you know what that means. And Bowie's taking it easy. Yeah. Laid back. Yeah, maybe rubbing rubbing Iman's feet and just (laughs) fanning her and giving her grapes or whatever a pregnant woman deserves. (laughs) That's right, exactly. Uh, But he also did some stuff. So the 90s for Bowie were a period of him trying to uh, erase the past. Oh, yeah, I've done so, that. So, you know, he got to the end of 80s excess. Things got things got pretty heated. They got pretty out of control <laughs> around 87 there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's time all of us would like to forget for Bowie himself. No one more than him. Um, and so he went into the 90s, starting with Tim Machine, was just this uh, this idea, yeah, of just getting rid of all of the, the burden of his classic 70s and not-so-good 80s. And he wanted to just kind of start fresh. So he did that with Tim Machine, then he moved out of Tim Machine, and uh, moved into more, you know, trying to stay up with trends, doing moving forward, getting the electronic stuff, industrial, did some jungle, like, sure. drum stuff. You know, all that gets mixed in there um, with varying levels of success. But it's overall, it's overall pretty good. But especially in his 95 and 97 tours, which are both big tours, he, uh, he plays almost no classic tracks. Like, he's still playing older songs, but he's playing more deep cuts. He's playing very, very few like big hits. I like that. Now, for instance, uh, very recent, you know, for us, when we're recording this, it's more recent than when you're listening to this, but a um, new Bowie live album from 1995 called Ouvre le Chien. Ooh. Which is French for open the dog. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> nice. Uh, open that dog. 
open that dog, just do it. Um, he, there's one real hit on the entire thing. There's under pressure is on there. Is the only real like wow. giants classic seventies eighties hit. So who did he? Whole, who did he get to go? In the background, Dylan Dorsey. Who? His bass player. Oh, awesome. bass player did the awesome. awesome. Yeah, Gail Andrews is awesome. Okay. Here's to you, Gail Andrews. We know you're okay. listening. We know we are. And uh, Thank you. Buy a t-shirt. You're great. Buy a t-shirt, really Gail Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> Gail Andrews, if you are listening, I will send you a free t-shirt. Oh, hey, just check in with us. Ed Bowie vs. Dylan. That's how awesome she is. Bowie vs. Dylan at gmail.com. So, um, in 2000, Bowie, come, he brings it back. He brings back the hits, Jake. Oh, he man. Back. Uh, so, and the last time he'd really done a big... Like, Done the Hits was in 1990 for a Sound and Vision tour when it was yeah. an all-hits tour. So it's an every-ten-year um, kind of a kind of a deal. Well, I guess, you know. Still still waiting on the one from 2010 and the one from 2020. Ooh. But, <laughs> come on, Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Dicey. <laughs> also the one from 1980 because he didn't tour in 1980. Yeah. All right. So 2000, he only play, he plays exactly four concerts. One, two, three, four. Four full concerts. It was supposed to be five. One of them he had to uh, call out because he was sick. Oh. But it's four concerts. And Jake, I want you to know about my great love and dedication to this podcast. Yeah. Because all four of them are online in some format. Yeah. And I experienced all of them. Wow. Cheers to you, sir. Mm-hmm. Cheers Take to you. Take a drink of beer. So the first two were in New York. They were kind of warm-up concerts of sorts. June 16th show, I found an equality bootleg audio format. Oh, very nice. Bootleg, very but it's nice. actually like a good, you know, some bootlegs are terrible. Some of them are pretty yeah. good. This was a pretty oh, good yeah. one. So I listened to that bad boy while I'm doing some dishes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and probably other stuff because it's like, you know, two hours. So I didn't do the dishes for two hours. Uh, June 19th, <laughs> there's supposed to be one in between. That was the one he canceled. June 19th is available in video format. Is originally live streamed on BowieNet. Aha, uh-huh, of course. Which we talked about in great detail two episodes back we in the did. 1998 show. And was directed by his son, uh, now acclaimed, but not at the time acclaimed, filmmaker Duncan Jones. Oh, good old Dunky. Good old Dunk. 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 We call him Dunk. Yeah. No, we don't. Yeah. Sorry, Duncan. Then Bowie moved to, I was going to say stateside, but no, the opposite of stateside, which is uh, UK side. <laughs> so I, like, how come there's a stateside, but not a, what's the other side called? I don't know. Europe? I don't know. Europe. Well, and he was in the UK. He was in, is in, anyway. Uh, for June 25th, he does a barnstorming performance at Glastonbury, uh, a yes. legendary show, one of his most famous shows of all time. It just came out, an official audio and video release came out in uh, late 2018. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I got that out. I haven't watched the DVD. I've listened to the album you know, multiple times since then, but I haven't watched the video since oh. the DVD. So I, I brought that out and watched it with the boys. There's like one random F-bomb in there that you don't see coming, but the rest of it's just cool. Just dandy for a three and a five-year-old. And now watch. they're scarred watch, forever. Watch, we, you shouldn't we, uh, let them we, hear we that. We played word. with Legos for a while while watching, which was fine. That was cool. And it is a really great, it's good performance. Sweet. And then June 27th at the BBC Radio Theater, which was released as a bonus CD back in 2000. Wow. So, that one. so I listened to that. And also it was uh, released in some kind of hour like edited hour long video release, which I watched as well. Whoa! I went all Whoa! In you really did. I know. I feel like good shows. They, I feel like you. Good shows. You got like four. You got like four screens in front of you, and you're watching them all simultaneously. All I watched all four of them at exactly the same exactly. time. Exactly. Yep. Just mm-hmm. just taking in that sweet, mm-hmm. complicated, mm-hmm. sonically mm-hmm. bad 
yeah experience yeah yep it was a cacophony it was horrible and I hated it, but <laughs> i did it for you <laughs> i don't know if you did but <laughs> <laughs> so those june performances bowie would not perform uh at all for quite a few months and he would not perform outside of new york city where he was living for uh two years wow it was his intention to spend and he said that in interviews he wanted to spend like 18 months just you know taking care of baby like this guy was like he was not around a terribly large amount for you know the small child the young childhood of his uh first child duncan jones Dunk. previously discussed <laughs> Dunk. yeah uh although bowie you know worked things out and made things up to him in later 70s, early 80s in particular. And they ended up, you know, with a good relationship. So do but, you wanna... uh, he, uh, he was a good dad right out of the gates with Alexandria. Alexandria. So do you want to take bets on when, you know, um, all good intentions by Bowie, you know, many, I think, I think a lot of fathers are like that if they can be, if they're really rich and they can just kind of be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, when do you think Iman was like, you get out, get out now. <laughs> I don't know if there was a time. He toured again in 2000. He did like a couple months tour. And I think if I remember it, Iman and Alexander came with him. Oh, nice. And then he did a big okay. giant tour, in, a big, uh, the big giant reality tour in, in uh, 2003 into 2004. And then he went on the day of vacation. Yeah, he just... He, he just never did. got kicked out. <laughs> he was gone like a little bit, you know, in 2003 for a few months. And then he was never gone again. Well, I don't, I don't mean, I, I guess I don't mean uh, go, on, go on tour for months. I mean, like, why don't you go to the grocery store, David? <laughs> you're, you're here a little too much right now. I think Iman was the one who was out doing stuff. Oh, good for her. All I right. think he was the one at home. <laughs> nice. I read that, that he, was, he was something of a stay-at-home dad. Like, oh, this was important to him, was too. That's swell. Yeah, he did occasional stuff, you know, but he also did sweet stuff. Like, he voiced uh, a character on SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, that's right. His daughter, his daughter liked it. Mm-hmm. Like, Alexandra. So he did some stuff, but he just didn't do anything else big. Like, he didn't tour again after, you know, 2004 at all. He didn't do another full show after early 2004. Okay. So um, this was a total greatest hits bonanza, um, particularly Glastonbury. It's not exactly the same set at all for shows. He played a total of 31 different songs across the four different shows. So a lot of them repeated because um, there's around 20 songs per show. He had two from the 1960s, actually both of them obscure tracks, uh, 16 gigantic hits from the 70s, Boom. six gigantic hits from the 80s, and seven songs from the 90s, including uh, four tracks off of Ours, which are terrible. What, were, uh, what, what, was his biggest, what was his biggest hit from the 90s? Was it I'm well, Afraid the of America? Songs, the, the 90s songs you usually hear, and he kept going with these later on, too, are um, Hello, Space Boy. Okay. Little Wonder, and I'm Afraid of Americans. Yeah. The only one I could think of was I'm Afraid of Americans, but... Yeah, yeah. So those are the three that were some level of hits, and that they're all really good live. He, he, kept, he kept, kept those going into 2003, too. But those are all, like, they're, they're good ones. They belong there. Word. So after the show, he was feeling really good with the band. It is a night; it's a tight band. Mm. They do really good, mm. good work together. It's good, good stuff. It is a really good band. Uh, he felt so good about it that he uh, uh, booked some studio time for right after these this very very short tour, and they immediately took the live band into the studio and recorded the lost album toy, which we talked oh, about. There it is in great yes, detail. Yes, I've heard that word. Two thousand one so in particular, because that's when it was planned to come out. <laughs> For those of you who have not listened to that or don't remember, I'm going to give you the really brief version is that he recorded uh, new versions of a bunch of his own old songs, mostly from the late 60s. 
um, a couple into the early 70s. But very all of them obscure songs. Um, several of them never got an official release, even at the time. Um, but it was an interesting idea. Uh, his his uh, record label didn't apparently want to release it right then, and it didn't get released, and it never got released. So never. several of the tracks ended up as B-sides on Heathen, and it came out in different formats. Probably about a third of the album came out officially different places. The album as a whole has leaked, though it seems like it's probably an early mix. Um, but it's never been officially released. Okay. Still. Just, Still. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I don't understand. No. My, of my all guess this stuff is coming out. I think it's going to get an official release next year. But, uh, next we'll year? Not on the... We'll not on the 10th anniversary of the 10th anniversary this year? or did Well, it? it's the 10th anniversary of... Of the recording. Recorded, oh, right, right, right. The, or the 20th anniversary of when it's recorded. But it was it was supposed to be released. It had an... Or a, a, I don't know if it had an official release date. But okay. what we were saying online that he expected it to come out in, like, March or April of 2001. So that's when it was supposed to come out. Okay. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't anyway, you give he a- took a break... Took, took a break in the middle of the recording of the album because Iman and Bowie had their baby. Oh, congratulations. Oh. That's so nice. Oh. And you just see Bowie doing a lot of stuff. Like he was recording this in New York so he could, you know, like go to work and record an album and then yeah. come home with his family. Was Sweet life. Stuff like that. Sweet life. I know. So it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of get mad at Bowie for not doing stuff. But nah. he was like, he was, leading, he was leading his best life, Jake. Yeah. And I think. He was uh, his best self. Uh, Dylan, that's exactly what Dylan tried to do back in the late 60s and early yeah. 70s. He tried yeah. to have a normal life in New York and be with his family, but he was so hounded and too famous and everyone was so weird to him there that he had to, again, leave like two years yeah. later. So it's too bad. But good for well, Bowie. Bowie got managed to get you know lost in a gigantic city. You know, He lived in New York City for the last... Uh, 20, 25 years of his life. Yeah, and the nature of his celebrity, and, uh, his his celebrity wasn't like as white hot if his, as if no, he had tried to no. do it in like 73 or something like yes. that. Yes, you know? yeah. Um, he also had his famous trick of carrying around a Greek newspaper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people just assumed that he was a guy who looked like David Bowie, not actually David Bowie. Mm-hmm. This was, this it was, was like, ouvre les compadres. <laughs> that's, that's French for <laughs> open the dog. Yeah, that's Greek too. Well, you don't know sure, that. Sure, sure. All right, so Bowie has a couple album releases in 2000. Um, first is liveandwell.com, which is a terrible name for live. <laughs> that is true. Let's all agree on that first. <laughs> yes, shall we? <laughs> uh, liveandwell.com was originally, I think there was a website that went with it at one point. There is no longer. Um, it was recorded in 1997 on his Earthling tour. Uh, originally, it was supposed to come out in 1998, but his record label wouldn't release it once again. Oh, so, um, jerks. This, you know, Bowie was able to get out of his record label. Yeah. I don't know. Not, not he, long after all as this. As he darn for, well for should reasons. have. So it was. It was compiled immediately after the tour. It's one of those. It's not uh, just one show. It's different tracks for multiple shows. Sure, sure. Um, so since he couldn't release it, he eventually started sharing some tracks with Bowie Net subscribers. Ooh. Uh, mm-hmm. And eventually the entire full album was given free to Bowie Net members. Which, oh. again, is totally sweet, and I wish I'd been a member of Bowie. <laughs> Still working on that time machine to get on back In there. In <laughs> 2000, when I didn't really, wasn't a fan of Bowie yet. That's <gasps> Boo. So it's never been released officially, commercially. That's the only way you could get it. Um, uh, this was one of those things that was on my list to get, like, pretty soon when Bowie died in 2016. You could get it for, like, that time for, like, 20, 25 bucks. Yeah. So it's, more, it's more than I would like to pay, you know. But it is two discs, and, you know. 
it's all unreleased, unavailable otherwise. So I was going to do it at some point. And then you he died, it. and now yeah. it's uh, like $100. Discogs <sighs> still listed around $100 right now, and I am unwilling to pay that. Thanks, late capitalism. But it, uh, just May of this year, it was... Uh, it was finally put up uh, for streaming. Oh, there you go. Oh, so <laughs> and I'm hoping that means it's going to get an official physical. It's never been released on vinyl in any format or any way. Ooh, I'm nice. hoping that it gets the official uh, CD, like wide CD and vinyl release, maybe even later this year. Wow. I'm hoping for a 90s uh, Bowie box set. Yeah, this year. still? Um, well, I still am. Yeah. I know. When, yeah. When's it coming? Have they just skipped one year so far or two years? They only skipped one year. Oh, okay. And it was the Tin Machine year, which we're, we're pretty sure was due to rights issues. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, we'll see. give them a call. See what's going on. I'm hoping. Uh, other album release was Bowie at the Beeb. Bill, oh, I remember so, that. Bowie at yeah. the Beeb. Bowie at the Beeb. Compilation of tracks from various Bowie BBC sessions from 1968 to 1972. It's a fascinating look at different versions of famous tracks with Bowie on his way up. Ooh, just rolling. Um, so it's not every single day. He did a lot of BBC sessions between 67 and 72. Then he took a, like, almost 20-year break after that. <laughs> after He's like, I've had enough. Like, eh, I'm done. <laughs> we did, like, five enough. sessions in 72 alone. And I was like, ah, wow. I'm good. <laughs> uh, Is that what so he sounded like? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's how, that's what, <laughs> like, that's how Ziggy Stardust talks. Like Kermit the Frog, kind of? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> I'm David Bowie. Dream. Oh, yeah. Suffragette City. <laughs> wow. That's how the Ziggy Stardust uh, musical never worked out. Wow. Nobody could see it, but that's how we talked. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. That's cool. Uh, I believe you. <laughs> uh, there are several songs on uh, Bowie the Beeb that never were released elsewhere. There were tracks that he recorded but didn't put on albums. There are mm-hmm. covers. There. So that's interesting, too. Just to a sometimes. wealth. A wealth. Just a wealth. And the original edition of it came with a bonus third disc. Sorry, two discs. Came with a bonus third disc, which was a live album, which was the fourth show of 2000. (laughs) This is confusing. Well, it is. But it it happened. So that was that that release. But that's only available as a bonus disc. It's never gotten its own solo release. Until tomorrow. Well, I mean, hoping for that next year, too. But Here we'll it comes. It doesn't matter. I have that one, so I don't care much about it. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I got, I got that one. You that got it. Got you got me. it. You got it. Got that one before for the, Bowie died. For the retail price of whatever it was at the time. Yeah, it was, I didn't do too bad on that one. Seventeen ninety nine. Three disc. I think I got it for like 20 bucks. That was for three discs. $21. $21. It's worth it. Nothing to play about there. I had that one before he died, before the price went up. There you go. <laughs> All right. What else we got? Just a couple more small things. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, Bowie was in a movie in 2000. It's called Mr. Rice's Secret. What? Uh, <laughs> Bowie plays... <laughs> he has the worst... He has the worst <laughs> movie titles that he's in. They're like... It sounds Mr. like Mad Rice's Libs or something. Secret. It's like, ah, let's call it Mr. Rice's Secret. <laughs> well, Bowie plays Mr. Rice. In oh! He has a secret, Jake. What? He has a secret. Can you can you share okay. with our listeners what the secret I is? I am, and I'm going to ruin it for all these spoilers ahead in case you were going to watch. Spoiler Mr. alert for Mr. Rice. Which I did not watch, by the way. Oh, uh, you don't care at all. You're pretending uh, I to care. I didn't get around to that one this weekend. <laughs> I hope to, but, you know, what are you going to do? I watched the clips of him in it online. As okay. I, usually do. I always watch at least to that. Anyway, the movie's about a kid 
who uh, <laughs> has cancer. Oh, I was going to laugh. I, I shouldn't have laughed. Oh, no, stop laughing. I didn't know, I didn't know that the word cancer was coming. He's very sick with cancer. Oh. And uh, he has a friendship with his neighbor, Mr. Rice. Ah, played by? Played by David Bowie. Yep. And then uh, Mr. Rice dies. Oh, no. Played, played by David Bowie. Bowie, <laughs> yeah. but keeps appearing in a series of flashbacks. Oh, so he's not really gone. Got it. And then, in somehow looking through Mr. Rice's house, uh, he stumbles upon Mr. Rice's secret, uh-huh. which is that he is 400 years old. And Mr. Rice? That's kept him alive this long. What has kept him alive? His rice? His secret elixir, Jake. <laughs> what? Please. <laughs> well, I've never heard of this. This is crazy. <laughs> And then the kid uh, gives the elixir. He was going to take it himself to to fight off the cancer that he has. Oh, sure. Uh, But instead he gives it to some other kid who also has cancer, who he's mean to earlier in the movie. Lessons were learned, I'm sure, by everyone. So why did did Mr. Rice stop taking the elixir? I don't know. Did he die of old age? Maybe it just extended his life, rather. He doesn't look that old. You know, he kind of looks like... (laughs) Like, you know, he's 53, which ranges exactly how old David Bowie was. He kind of looks like a, a, a getting a getting pretty suave David Bowie <laughs> in his early 50s. <laughs> was Mr. Wright at any... Was the ghost of Mr. Wright at any... Bryce at any point just like, you give me that elixir, you figure out how to... How to, how to make it ghost-worthy. No, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's Mr. Rice. just, you know, he's dropping life lessons and world wisdom all over the place. Yeah, well, he's 400. He should, have, he should have some. The kid just has to bend over and pick it up. That's all he's got to do. You know? It's just, it's like rice, it's like rice being tossed at a wedding. And all you got to do is Don't just, do that, because that makes birds blow up or something, right? I don't know. People do it anyway. You know I, mean? I thought that was, I thought that was Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> Don't feed pigeons out. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. I thought rice was also made birds sick because they eat it. I don't know. I don't know. I think you're not supposed to throw rice anymore. All right. Well, I didn't at my wedding. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember. You did not either. No, I did not. No. Nobody threw rice at me either. No. Uh, anyway, there you go. Mr. Rice is secret. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> this has been another edition of Movie Recaps with Jake and Charlie. <laughs> Confusing movie recaps with Jake and Charlie. Well, I learned a life lesson, and I don't know what it is, but it's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that's the last movie. I don't think I have any more movies. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, we're getting the podcast to talk about. We're getting to the end of this kind of thing for sure. End. Yeah. Hey, Jake, I got this week. These are not exactly 2000. Another one of them is, I guess. Uh, I have some unexpected Dylan connections. Oh, I like these. Go ahead. The first one, apparently, I was aware of, but we'll we'll get to that. Okay. Anyway, in 1998, and this came about while I was learning more about LiveAndWell.com. In 1998, Bowie recorded, recorded a cover of Trying to Get to Heaven from Time Nick Out of Willie Mind. Willie closed the door. He recorded it? Yeah, like four months after that, the after Time Out of Mind was released. Really? It was released in late 97, in like September yeah. 97. Yeah. He was recording this in like January or February oh, 98. That's a great song. It's leaked. I listened to it. It's, uh, I don't know, Bowie's cover is... Yeah. It's pedestrian. It's, okay. You know, All right. It's nothing to write home about. I mean, th- thanks for being honest, but it uh, is a connection. I thought this was brand new. This seemed completely strange and unexpected to me, but then when I was doing a look at all of my notes, I did mention this in the very first episode. Oh, in the very... Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. When we were talking as about one connections. Of, as one of the uh, songs that Bowie had officially covered of Jones. Well, that was, that, was four, that was 14 years ago and about 500 <laughs> podcasts ago, and so... <laughs> I forgive you for exactly. not remembering. Exactly. <laughs> uh, next unexpected Dylan connection is Lisa Germano. Okay. A violinist. 
who worked on Toy, and she worked a little bit on Heathen, too. She apparently also played on Dylan's 30th anniversary concert celebration. Whoa, which we talked about not that long ago. A few episodes ago. And Lisa Germana was there, and she was back. Apparently, it sounds like she played a lot on Toy. She only put a little bit on on Heathen. Yeah. And actually, it might have been a leftover song from Toy. That's possible. Because a couple of the songs from Toy ended up on Heathen. Okay. So, there you go. Okay. It's been... Unexpected Dylan connections. Wow! <laughs> can can I can I can I add one to to the? Yeah, you got one. Yeah, I did. I was gonna I, I was gonna say it last week week, but we had so much, I had so much to talk about that I, I couldn't we squeeze it in. We had so much tomfoolery last time. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it gets crazy. <laughs> the tomfoolery quotient was high. Well, the one we the one we just released, fifty uh, six, maybe. Uh, anyway, sharp-eared listeners will see that we we completely lost it for like fifteen <laughs> minutes. Uh, it was a, it was a joy. I had a, I had a good time, but I was like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> All right, so uh, my my unexpected uh, Dylan Bowie connection for this week is uh, so think think back, Chaz, to when we first started the podcast. You had a picture of the only known picture, I'm pretty sure, of David yeah. Bowie and Bob Dylan palling yeah, it up. Yeah, it was their original logo until mm-hmm. I figured out that there were some definite copyright concerns, and I switched it to some public domain images. Correct. That together. Yeah. So I was on the look I always at, loved that old one because it's so ridiculous. Oh, it's so ridiculous. The looks on both of their faces are yeah. just are something to behold. That yeah. happened in 1985, um, okay. I discovered. I always figured it was around 85, 86. Yeah, and there was an event at the Whitney Art Museum um, they in New York City had a tribute to Bob Dylan in 1985, and a whole bunch of people came, um, including like people you wouldn't really expect, kind of like David Bowie and other mm-hmm. kind of people. And so Bob kind of made the rounds. I mean, he's clearly soused at this thing. He's like, <laughs> he's just like grinning like an idiot. Picture, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like he knows who. He he did, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and David Bowie doesn't look and like Bowie's he's. Bowie's like he's. He looks like he's thrilled. This is not his first time they've met. For sure. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But it's a hilarious anecdote about him talking Dylan's <laughs> ear off in 1976 right. or something. 75, 76. Right. Like that. Right. Right. And. uh and so that's when that was from. It's a hilarious picture. I wish we could get the rights to it. Um, There's a whole collection from that, from the Whitney Art Museum thing of pictures of Bob just like in shades well, inside the, and like probably I found a drunk. different one from obviously like was taken immediately, you know, at the same time as the one we found. That was available for licensing, but then it was super crazy expensive. <laughs> yeah, well. I want to say it was like, was like two or three hundred dollars or something. Well, I think the photos from that yeah, event. I'm not doing that. We're the, not going to do that. The photos from that event, the photographer, whoever it was, like made made it part of one of their books or something, one of their art oh, books. okay. So it's probably like double copyrighted somehow. <laughs> double, triple, it's triple copyrighted. Triple secret copyrighted. Quadruple. Quadruple. <laughs> right, right, right. Of course. All right, my last thing to add is the year in hair. Oh, shall we? We shall. So, notably in 2000, Bowie has the longest hair he's had since 1971. Oh, yeah, it is flowing, baby. It is baby. long, it is luxurious, oh, yeah, it is. softly waved. Yep. It's delicious shit. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's good is. hair, he wears it well. It's obviously well-styled before he goes on stage. Now, interestingly... He apparently cut it a little bit shorter because I found uh, he does two tracks for an award uh, show. What is it? VH1 Music Awards or something later in the year. Okay. Yahoo Music Award. It was something like he did both <laughs> of those. I think it was Yahoo. 
I don't remember. He does one of them later in the year. Yahoo. And it's it's cut. It's cut like it's short. It's still long, but it's shorter than that. And uh, I liked it. I liked it better. Like the Glastonbury hair. It's it's good hair. It's I'm good gonna hair. give it a. I'm gonna four. Yeah. Four or five. It's good hair. I like it. Yeah, like and it. it you know, and it, it, it does get. It's just kind of like one of those classic. You know. Uh, teenager with hair down in their eyes, things where they're like constantly like brushing out of their face. Mm, oh, he does yeah. do that a lot. Yeah, that that's does that's get annoying. A irritating in the that's, Glastonbury group. That's video. annoying. But you can't hear him do it on the album, so that's okay. <laughs> His hair softly being brushed aside. It's so softly being. I know they should have just had a fan or something, just like blowing majestically his face, blowing it behind him, and his and his frock coat and all could have been blown. That would have been the way to go. I think. I think maybe there's, I think there's folks. I think that's too much. Uh, that's that's Fabio adjacent, and I don't think we can have that on this podcast. Yeah, but if anyone know. can pull it off, it is David Bowie. We both know that's true. Uh, well, I don't know. I kind I kind of like it just hanging there. You know, it's kind of like a th- it's kind of like a theoretical question. The hair it just is there, softly you know? waved, softly waved. I do like the waves in it. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. good. It's real. It's mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> hey, yeah. Over to Jake. All right. Over to you. Thanks, man. Um, so Bob Dylan in 2000, uh, this is, you know, we keep coming up despite this being our 50,000th episode, I, <laughs> I keep coming up with like kind of different, different, uh, feel feelings for, for the years, you know, like we've had massive album years, we've had double yeah. album years, we've had yeah. this year's about the tour, we've had this year, there was nothing, we've had greatest hits years, et cetera, et cetera. This is the one and only year that I've come up with for Bob that is basically about one song. This is a... This is a one. one song. This is a, a one, one song year. Have you had one of those? Was that like Space Odyssey for, or Space well, he Oddity? Well, whole album in Space Oddity. I know, but I mean, no one cared about the album, did they? Like the song was just like. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I think Laughing Gnome was a one song year. That could have been a one song year. <laughs> and what a. Well, album that year too. But Laughing Gnome is even on that album. And what a one song year it was. <laughs> well, Dylan, Dylan wrote a song that was significantly better than the Laughing Gnome, if you can believe that. <laughs> that is a matter of opinion. Continue on. <laughs> this is subjective, but it's uh, it's generally agreed. He wrote a song called "Things Have Changed," and this song ended up on the movie The Wonder Boys. Oh, you remember I, that movie? I, I remember that vaguely. I don't. I think I watched. I think I saw that. I, it was. I think I remember liking it. It was based on a best-selling novel. It had Michael mm-hmm. Douglas in it. And Michael Chabon. Yes, the Michael yes. Chabon album. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, uh, book. Yes. Uh, it had Michael Douglas. It had uh, Spider-Man just before he became Spider-Man. Well, Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire. Um, At oh, the it, time, I got told by a lot of people that I looked like Tobey Maguire. Yeah, yeah. I could kind of see it. Yeah, I could kind of see it. I could kind of see it. Not, not bad. I, a lot of my students told me that I looked like Harry Potter and Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, I got Rick Moranis for a long time, and that, that was terrible. <laughs> like, Dad, oh, Jay. <laughs> oh. oh, man, that one bothered me a little bit. Rick Moranis. <laughs> I mean, shout out. We know you're listening, Rick Moranis. <laughs> I'm fine. I just had kind of these roundy sunglasses, or glasses, and I was short, and, you know, tousled brown hair. Total a famous nerd. Yep, like famous. Famously nerdy. A famous like nerd. The most nerdy. Yeah, exactly. But, like, yeah. you know, classy. Classy nerd. Dad nerd, a real dad nerd. <laughs> Before you read it. <laughs> Which, exactly. Or, well, yeah, okay. So now I'm a dad nerd. Anywho, uh, and it had Katie Holmes in it, and it was this kind of, uh, it was this study of Michael Douglas going through, you know, late late middle age, and, you know, he was a professor, and he liked to smoke. It's not the movie I was thinking He's smoking about. dope, and, like, it's kind of a coming coming of age story about an old guy, basically. I don't... Dude. 
There was a movie sometime around this time where kids like made their own rocket. Kids from some poor town. Do you oh yeah, no, movie? I do. That that had. Uh, and that's whenever I say somebody says Wonder Boys, I always think of that movie. But it's oh, not that, movie. that had Jake Gyllenhaal in it when he was a kid, okay. like a teenager. I liked that movie too. Yeah, it was good. But that's what I always think of, and then I always remember that Wonder Boys is not that movie. It could not be more different, to be honest. No. In terms no. of plot. Um, anyway, I don't. I feel like I saw the movie somewhat recently in the last few years, and I, I don't know. It's fine. Anyway, but the song that Dylan contributed along with um, alternate takes of Shooting Star, Not Dark Yet from, uh, from Time Out of Mind and Buckets of Rain um, was an original song October called... Sky, Jake. That's, that's October it. October Sky. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, AKA Wonder Boys. AKA <laughs> Wonder Boys. It does, have, it does have wonderful boys in it. I, that's what I'm saying. They yeah. are Wonder Boys. They are Wonder Boys. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, Dylan wrote this song... Uh, well, of course, while well, he was on tour, and he brought his his band in, he he got a he got an early cut of the movie, and the director whose name I'm forgetting, I didn't write any of this stuff down, even though this is literally the only thing Bob did this whole year. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to do that, I guess. Phoned <laughs> it in. Episode yeah. Died, uh, yeah, just phone, just phoning in the year 2000. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> just like you were doing your freshman year in college. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Less said about you know that. That's true. The less said about that, the better. I may have phoned in the academic part, but the living chest, <laughs> the, the living, the, the, hy- the hygiene part, the living was real. <laughs> He's really living. Uh, he he went into the yeah. studio with his with his band. Um, the the song is about the movie, you know, or at least adjacent. It doesn't like say what yeah. happens in the movie, but it yeah. it has references to the movie. Of course, it's like metaphorical to the. So kind of like uh, Adam's Adam's family groove. Yep, yeah, like, just like yeah. that. Just like that. And, uh, yeah, Bob's decapitated head rolls around on the floor in the video to begin it. <laughs> Look that up, guys. That actually happened to MC Hammer. Just, the group. just go watch it. It's really disturbing. A CGI hammerhead rolling around on the ground, singing the beginning to the Adam's crew. And that, my friends, is all you need to know about the year 1991. Everything is right there. <laughs> Uh, he recorded two versions. One was kind of a cool New Orleans shuffle version that I can't, they can't locate the master tape for it. What? So it would have come out on, it probably would have come out on um, Telltale Signs, the bootleg series that concerned those years. But they can't, yeah. they can't find it. And I, I want to hear I hate it. when they lose masters. Just do a, do a needle drop. You know, come on. Come on, guys. Losing masters? What, what? You know, this is the year 2000. Right. <laughs> this isn't 1960. Isn't, this isn't, yeah, this isn't Bob Dylan in 1961 or something. It's yeah. like lost it. They're like, master that recorded on a crappy two-track, you know. What should we do with this digital file? Oh, I don't know. Remove it from the computer and throw it in the basement or something. Like, you can't even, you can't lose it. How can you even lose a digital? Okay, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Uh the the uh, the version that made it onto the movie is really is really good. Um, I'd have trouble describing it, but it's kind of a quintessential. It's kind of a quintessential Bob song from that time. Yeah, it's really focused. Great lyrics. Um, the band sounds great because you know uh, at some point he decided, hey, I should bring my really great band that knows how to follow my stupid directions, and maybe I should just record my albums with them from now on. Which he, <laughs> Whoa! This I know. Is a lesson which he started life. to do on Love and Theft, which came out the next year. So he kind of figured some stuff out here. Um, it's got it's got kind of a kind of an interesting video. Um, I imagine uh, I imagine that whenever Bob makes a video, 
you know, he convenes all of his people, you know, all 15 of all these people that he's always got around and they sit around a table and they're like, <clears throat> you know, Bob's got a new song. We need a really cool idea for a video. Uh, uh, anybody got any ideas? And everyone twiddles their pens and shuffles their pages and et cetera, et cetera. And someone's like, ah, oh, what about, what about archival footage? Can we, can we just, can we just super cut a whole bunch of archival footage? And everyone's like, yep, done. Let's go get lunch. Thanks. And that's like every Bob Dylan video. But this one's different, Chaz. They actually worked on this Never one. Never lets me, uh, must be Santa. Must <laughs> well, be that Santa. came later, cool. see? That came later. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. we're talking like years of archival footage videos just from rolling around. <laughs> this isn't even a video. Um, so what he did, uh, because he was so involved with the song and the movie, is the director of the movie had him come in and actually film in locations that the movie was in. And then they oh. and then they intercut him into the movie, like they edited him into this video to make it look like he was, uh, you know, interacting with the actual movie, which was it was kind of cool. So he's like he's supposed to be Michael Douglas. He's supposed to be okay. that character. So sometimes, yeah. sometimes I he'll see that like, more. He's more of a Michael Douglas than a Katie Holmes. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, although he uh, he gets to make googly eyes at two thousand era Katie Holmes, which is you know creepy. She was really. Uh, it's creepy, but she was, she was, she was really young. Yeah. Well, I'm not really young. How young? Twenties. Let's take a look. I'm going to feel really weird if you say Let's she's in her teens, but I don't think she up. was. This is like, uh, she was 22. There you go. Well, 21 when they, I mean, well, the part of the very end of the year, part of the movie is that, is that Michael Douglas somehow, you know, attracts women, his students still, he's a professor. So there's a creepy element to creepy. the movie that yeah. is, you know, so, it's self-aware. It's self-aware creepiness. I don't know if that makes yeah. it any better, yeah. but um, yeah. So it's kind of a cool video. The song is great. I really love the song. Um, and the next year, Chaz, it not only won a Golden Globe, which I think we all have one of those, but it won an Oscar for Ooh. Best Original Song. Ooh. Yeah, that's a that's that's no laughing matter there. Nice that's pretty one, Bob. Yeah, Bob wins a well done. So I don't think he's won a Tony, but I'm pretty sure that he's won. No, he may not have won an Emmy either. I'm trying to think of the EGOT situation here. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine he's got a Tony. So he didn't no, do any physical theater, did he? No, and I don't think he really got involved. There's a there's a hot or there was before COVID. There was a hot. We talked about it on the podcast. There's a hot play that uses his music in it that was going to go right. on Broadway. But he didn't have anything to do with that. I know if no. you win, if like they won for best music or something, does that mean that he gets a Tony as well? Because it was his music. Yeah, he might not be eligible though, because usually it has to be like original music. Yeah, original music. Okay. Or made for that. Yeah. Well, whatever. He's won so many Grammys. I feel like that should just spill into Emmys. Like, let's just take care it's of just that. Just sure. Yeah. yeah. Nobody cares about trade, Emmys. I, I'm pretty or sure you can trade in ten Grammys for an Emmy. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure that's a program. It's twenty Grammys for uh, an Oscar. So. What's funny about the know. EGOT is that nobody cares about either Emmys or Grammys. No, it's true. You know, like actually, it should <laughs> just, just be Oscars a, and Tonys. It should just be O. It should just be Oscars, really. <laughs> So Bob's got himself an O now. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that with EGOTs is almost all of the winners are musicians. Yeah. It's almost always music. Yeah. People. Yeah, there's kind of like tiers of EGOT. You know, there's like, if you do it as a performer, like a, an actor or an actress, that's that's got to be worth more than like... But like, when does that happen? Somebody's got one, I think. Whoopi Goldberg has an EGOT. Yeah. She must have acted in all of the things that she won. Oh. Right? 
I don't. I don't know. Whoopi, we know you're listening. Call in. <laughs> <laughs> so Chaz, oh, let's let's talk about let's talk about the never-ending tour. Uh, he did 112 shows in 2000. Whew. In between shooting, that is 108 more than Tim Bowie. <laughs> and so I was like, 112. That's a lot. And I looked, and that's not. That's not. I think it might be in the top five of most shows he's done in a year. Okay. Uh, but you know we got a cluster here between 110 and 120, and I think the most is 120 shows. That was around this time. So this is kind of his okay. most, his most touringist. He's like really yeah. touring a lot, and uh, and the uh, the NET nerds um, will will tell you that this area, you know, 2000 through 2001 or two, are his best, his best never-ending tours, best combo of band. He's the most engaged. Like he really had some swagger around this time. Yeah, a couple yeah, years well, after Time Out of Mind, and he was winning Oscars. I was going to say he's still living off of the uh, the Time Out of Mind parade. Yep, the parade party. is still going, and he's he's thinking about uh, he's thinking about uh, recording Making Love and Theft. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Another very well regarded album. Yeah, and he's he's like truly back. He did seventy five in North America and thirty seven in Europe. Just concentrated, you know, stateside and pondicide or whatever you call it over there. <laughs> And Chaz, that's that's all that Bob Dylan did in the year 2000. But in case you were wondering if I was done talking, I'm not. I have a very wow. special Bob's Bula bass for you today. Hey, we haven't had a Bob's Bula bass. I know. Wow. So let's play the song right now. Jake wanted to call it Dude Dylan Jams, but Chaz spat right in his face. So instead we describe Bob's early years in a segment called Bob's Bula Bays. Quick break to tell you about today's sponsor. It's a new wine from Dylan. It's called Bob's Boujolet. Now on to Bob's Bula Bays. All right, so we have a kind of a collection of, of Bob's Bula Bays. Um, this is a, a subheading of Bob's Bula Bays called the BDBD, or AKA Bob's D- Bob Dylan's Best Dudes, AKA Confidant Corner. <laughs> you work way too hard on these names. No you way. You put more effort into these names than you do into research of the podcast. That's not really, true. I did not know the director That's of that. That's not movie. true. How dare you, sir? How dare Joe you? Joe Johnson, by the way. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all puns, uh, no substance. I don't know. That's a saying. <laughs> But I have some substance for you here because what I did was I compiled um, some characters in Bob Dylan's life that I have not received a lot of airplay on this podcast. Yeah, right. <clears throat> not a lot. I mean, I've sur- certainly mentioned many, most of their names. But I've got one, two, three, four people or entities, you'll figure it, you'll, you'll realize why later, to tell you about that have been major figures in Bob's life and have been confidants of his or close to him but have not been like front facing. You know, Bob's kind of mm-hmm. a he's kind of a thing to himself. He kind of sucks yeah. up all the oxygen in the room. But there have been yeah. people at his side behind the scenes that have helped him out. So I'm going to start with his current manager, uh, Jeff Rosen. Jeff okay. Rosen has been his manager since 1989. He's probably the most trusted and stable person that Bob in Bob's life ever. Okay, continues to be that to this day. Uh, he, Dylan is, uh, unlike a lot of other musicians, not David Bowie, obviously, but Dylan owns the publishing rights to all of his music. So whenever right. you, whenever you hear, uh, whenever you hear a song in a movie, uh, like 
like uh, the Wonder Boys or anything else, TV show, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you have to go to Bob directly, or in this mm-hmm. case to Bob's manager, Jeff Rosen, to gain the rights to that music. Yeah, that is something that uh, Bowie and Bob, Bowie's got it from 60, 68 on. 68, yeah, only 68 on, that's nice. Well, he doesn't have the laughing gnome, Jake. Well, not and, and honestly, Chaz, that's what killed him. He needed, he wanted the laughing gnome <laughs> I mean, so think bad. of all the times you hear that, uh, you know, popular <laughs> movies and television today. It's, it's been like, it's a licensing behemoth. Was it on Touched by an Angel, the, 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 the soundtrack? Uh, the entire third season was subtitled, The Laughing Gnome. <laughs> Touched by an Angel, semicolon, <laughs> The Laughing Gnome. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, so Jeff Rosen is the gatekeeper. He takes requests for Bob's, uh, for Bob's music to be used in things, and he takes it directly to Bob. At least that's what everyone says. Maybe Jeff is just actually... Saying Actually, yes or no. All of it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Bob, I, Bob's like, yeah, no, yeah, no. Uh, so, uh, but Jeff is Jeff is pretty, you know, he's got pretty good taste. He doesn't just let it out there willy-nilly. But he also doesn't charge top dollar like he probably could for things. So if someone oh, comes yeah. to him with a project and, you know, they see the rough cut of the movie or whatever, and they're like, yeah, we'd like to be involved in this, he'll, he'll kind of he'll kind of sell it to scale. You know, like the... The okay. Be- whoever owns the Beatles now, I don't know if it's Michael Jackson anymore. They're yeah. famous. They're famous for just being like, "Yeah, this is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Take it or leave it." Um, but uh, apparently, apparently, Jeff Rosen and Bob are not sliding like scale. That. Nice. Yeah, a little sliding nice. scale kind of a thing. He's also nice. been a producer on all of the Bob documentaries, the big ones that have come out. So, like the the Rolling Thunder Review doc from last year. Yeah, uh, the No Direction Home from 2005. Those are both Scorsese things, and then he is also the producer or executive producer on all of the box sets, all of the uh, the bootleg no. series box sets. Okay, does he do covers? <laughs> Don't blame him. <laughs> Even if he did the bootleg he blo- series, he blocks out a 20, 20 minutes for every cover. <laughs> the bootleg series covers are are mean? are dope. I can't speak for the <laughs> albums, but the bootleg series. Even if he was like. Uh, that would make did more he, sense. Did he give the title to More Blood, More Tracks? Oh, I don't know. You know what? Forget we ever talked about Jeff Rosen. <laughs> He's out. You're dead. He's out. You're dead. You're dead to me. Okay, next on Bob Dylan's Confident Corner, Confidant Corner, we're going to go back way back, Chas, to the year 1961, to a gentleman by the name of Victor Maynudes, or Maynudes. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, Victor was one of the first people that Bob met and connected with when he went to New York when he was a nobody um, in 1961. And uh, from 1961 through 70, Victor was his unofficial road manager slash best friend slash sidekick. You can see him. Hey-oh! hey <laughs> It seems that his, uh, his main duty uh, during the 60s was to be Bob Dylan's personal weed career. He would, um, <laughs> he would, he would gather, he would procure the marijuana and just give it to Bob, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, and apparently the, the, the weed that Bob Dylan introduced to the Beatles came from old Victor Maynudis. <laughs> so he's a major figure in popular music. Fame right there. And the possibly almost definitely apocryphal story. I keep hearing different testament testimonials uh-huh. as to what happened. When Bob met the Beatles, he definitely went and met all the Beatles in a in a hotel yeah. room in New York. That happened. But I've heard so many different things about. But this right. is this is my favorite now. So the <laughs> Beatles had never smoked marijuana before, uh-huh. and so uh, Victor or Bob lit up the first J, the first joint, 
and they started passing it around. And Ringo didn't know what to do, so he just kept puffing on it, and he wouldn't give it to the next person. You're supposed to pass the J, okay? Yeah. That's like yeah. that's that's just that's just ethics right there. You're supposed to do that. <laughs> but he didn't know what to do. Basic etiquette. Yeah. And so and so Victor and Bob looked at each other, and they just lit one for everyone in the room. So we got Ringo, we got George, we got John, and we got Paul. They're all smoking their own doobie, even though they've never smoked marijuana before. Bob's smoking one, plus he's downing red wine as if it were quenching the fire of the marijuana in his belly. <laughs> Bob passes out at some, like, 20 minutes into this whole thing and remains passed out for the entire tete-a-tete. While the Beatles are just completely off their rocker, having smoked marijuana for the first time. Now, this is, this is according to Victor Maynoud's son. Okay. okay, Victor died in 2001, unfortunately. It was like a heart attack or something like that. But his son is trying to is trying to finish his memoirs, and so this comes from <laughs> this comes from like this twenty four hour of tape that Victor had had uh, had put down before he died. All these stories, and I'm sure he remembers perfectly well being loaded on marijuana all the time. <laughs> okay, hey, so that's now that's now the official. I don't care. I don't care to hear anything else about Dylan's summit with the Beatles. That's what happened. <laughs> That's it, right there. You're right uh, there, folks. It's got to be true. You know, it's totally true. Victor says so. Okay, Victor and then they, they had some sort of... They, I don't think they had a falling out, but they kind of grew apart. But in 1989 or 88, uh, Victor came back. They reconciled or got back together or whatever. They reconciled, and uh, Victor was Bob Dylan's road manager for the first 12 years of the NeverEnding Tour. Official road manager. Now, also in 1989, Dylan basically started writing Victor blank checks to invest in real estate. So these were like Bob Dylan holdings, <laughs> but Victor so, was yeah, like... road manager, also real estate. Just carte blanche real estate guy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that's a title. Can we have... I do that for you, Chaz. I just want you to know, if you start writing me blank checks, I'll invest, I'll, I'll invest in some real estate. I'll invest in real estate. Definitely. Uh, Bob still lives in a house. I mean, lives is in air quotes because he doesn't really live anywhere. But he still lives in a house bought by, by, bought by Victor in California. Hey, the you, real Bob. falling out came when uh, uh, Bob gave Victor $100,000 to invest in a coffee shop that Victor's sister was going to run. And she immediately ran it into the ground, and they lost all that money, hundred grand. <laughs> okay, and then so Bob was rude to her, and then Victor was rude to Bob, and then they had yeah. a they had a real falling out. Okay, uh, and then and then I think that they I think that they reconciled before he died, but I'm not actually sure. About so there wouldn't that. have been a lot of time there because he's right. like his road manager for twelve years. Yeah, yeah. What's going on here? On the uh, Neverending Tour, which started in what eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty eight. So this coffee shop thing must have happened right before they, right before he died. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Okay, and then I was on thesaurus.com, like I tend to do. As one does. As one does. I'm just wondering what your favorite word for whatever Victor was. Like, like I said, he was kind of a sidekick, best friend. Um, but he was also kind of a, you know, right-hand man or something like that. So uh, what, what's, your, what's your favorite term for this? Uh, flunky. Mm. Consigliere, mm. right hand man, mm. number two, kind of like that one. Mm -hmm. Adjutant, I never really heard that before. <laughs> uh, Robin, you know, to, to Bob Dylan's <laughs> uh -huh. Batman. Uh, Aide de camp, kind of like that one. And then yeah. I think my favorite is Man Friday. 
You know, like they used to have those movies. It was like His Girl Friday. It's like a it's like a secretary. Well, but that's based on um, uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because he finds you know there's this. I mean, it, it is considered very racist now, but you know, sure, he finds an <laughs> islander there, and he like, who we name like most who things are Friday, and he you know <laughs> competently blunders his way through living on this island thanks to Friday. Yeah, which just does everything for him. Right, yeah. and then in the even more right. sexist. He's a total, like, Tonto type character where, you know, he's this racist sidekick who actually does everything. And in, in the even more sexist world of like the 1950s, you know, if uh, the powerful men all had a secretary and that was yeah. his, his Girl Friday. Well, there's His Girl Friday. That's a great movie, though. Sure. That one's not, ra- that one's not racist. No, no, not racist, but sexist. Not racist. Well, I don't, I haven't seen it in a while, so I can't speak to that. But I don't remember even being sexist. It's, oh. it's There's a lot of banter in that one. It's really good. Okay. Sexist banter of, is what you're saying. A lot of good back and forth banter. <laughs> Sexist banter. Yeah, got it. I don't think it's actually, I mean, again, it probably I'm is. Joking. I'm just joking. But I just remember that, because I think it's Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. I don't remember. I think so, though. I think you might be right. Why don't you type a little bit and find out? Anyway, uh, so Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan had a man, uh, his man no, Friday. Rosalind, it's Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell. Sure. With Cary Grant. Okay. But it's great. It's great. That's fine. But it's probably a little sexist. Oh, who, I mean, just culturally, but not like yeah. on purpose yeah. or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's agree. Let's all agree that uh, Victor Menudez was uh, Bob Dylan's Man Friday for <laughs> several right. chunks of his life. Anyway, Aide de Camp. I like Aide de Camp. Aide de Camp's pretty good. Consigliere is also good. I'm, I mean, since he had blank checks for real estate, I guess consigliere would be uh-huh. would be. And would he be broke okay. a lot of kneecaps, you know. So there's that too. He did all over the place, just a, <laughs> just littering the. I'm country. just thinking of uh, Godfather on that one. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, all right, let's move to uh, let's let's move to to Bob Dylan's next confidant corner, and this is a gentleman who we have talked about, um, named Ronnie Wood. Ronnie Wood, erstwhile member late you know mid to late career member of the rolling stones he he was brought in from the faces um to replace brian jones and also i think he replaced mick taylor at some point too a mick got replaced <laughs> and i think oh. it was by ron yeah oh. anyway i really you know ron ron just shows up in bob dylan's life for decades just pops up here and there oh hey ronnie's playing him with him at the uh uh what's the uh what's the big concert uh, in 1985, live aid concert. Oh, hey, there's Ron. Hey, oh, hey there hey. he is. Uh, Bob Dylan called him on the telly and got him here, and uh, they're playing for 80 billion people. And they stink. They're terrible. <laughs> uh, throughout the 80s, Ron's yeah. just, you know, play session musician. He just kind of shows up and does and does what needs to be done. And I realized that, you know, throughout Bob Dylan's life, this this might be, you know, it, this might be Bob Dylan's best friend. Throughout, throughout his life, because he's just kind of he's just there. He's like along for the ride. He's he's a friend, a buddy, a pal, a good time Charlie, a crony, a chum, a mate, <laughs> a low stakes associate, a casual confidant, a real bro, and a co mate to Bob. <laughs> throughout his entire life, uh, it might be because Wood might be the most willing throughout history to just put up with whatever Bob's mood is, just whatever. Yeah. He'll just go. He'll just yeah, sure, whatever. Let's do it. And then uh, it, is Ronnie? Is he still alive? Yeah. Oh, good. The Rolling Stones were supposed to be on tour during this COVID thing. Did you know that? Of course they were. <laughs> They're like Bob was supposed to. Why not the Rolling Stones? <laughs> I don't know. It's just Bob seems immortal, and the Rolling Stones seem creaky. They seem like I mean to get all of them, the remaining members to get. I mean, uh, they just have to be. Their bodies have to be tired at this point. 
if not their spirits. <laughs> Bob's been allowed longer, you know? I know. This, I don't know. I don't think Bob took as much drugs, as many drugs as they did. Well, Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, okay, and uh, the last reason that Ron is just, you know, he's, he's a good pal, it, it might be just because he has the best, or at least the most abundant and available red wine. He's always carrying red wine. Bob has a, has a well-known red, obsession. Red wine. <laughs> they sing it all the time. Every time they get together, you know, as Ron would, as, as, as Ronnie, as we like to call him around here. Ronnie, yeah. As Ronnie likes to tell it, you know, every time they get together... You know, Bob's just like, where's that, which wine did you bring today, Ronnie? And Ronnie just has wine. He's got red wine. And Bob, then they get drunk. I don't know. They probably don't get drunk anymore, but who knows? Who am I to say? And the last of Bob Dylan's uh, best best dudes, or the confidant corner, <laughs> is apparently Bob Dylan's kind of, a, kind of a dog guy. I've named this segment of a segment BDBD, or Bob Dylan's Bad Doggies. Okay. Okay. So throughout his life, he's been photographed uh, having owned Beagles, Labs, St. Bernard's, Great Danes, and most significantly, a huge bull mastiff dog named Brutus. Bob owned Brutus uh, probably, we think, in the mid-80s through the late 80s. Uh, I was I was on such uh, luminary websites yesterday as uh, thebark.com. <laughs> I went to a bunch of dog websites. They are disturbing and hilarious, and okay. uh, people love dogs. Right. You know yes, that. Yeah. You, you and I are both not dog guys. Not dog person. No. Not not a dog person. No, uh, and neither of us neither of us are. Uh, but there are lots of dog people. We know that, and some of them have websites, and some of them kind of <laughs> keep track of like which celebrities have what pets, and um, you know, are they good dog owners? Are they bad dog owners? Apparently, Bob is a good dog owner. So that's cool. Um, Glad to hear that. So, Dylan's Dylan's kind of thing with dogs is well known enough that Patty Smith, his friend and uh, accomplished musician slash poet slash performance artist, had a dream about Bob Dylan's dog, and she called this poem that she wrote down about the dream. She called it Dylan's dog. It goes like this, or at least in part: Have you seen Dylan's dog? Oh wait, will you provide us with a little just like. Kind of scat, scat. Yeah, thanks. Like, like kind of, like kind of drums, you know, kind of. Bongos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like bongos, like uh, the beat, beat poetry or something like that. Yeah. Okay, this is Patty Smith's Dylan's dog. I'm gonna let you vamp for just a second to get in the mood. You go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna take a pull off this red wine. There we go. Smoke some, smoke some marijuana. Yeah. Did it. Have you seen? Dylan's dog. It got wings. It can fly. When it lands. Like a clown. He's the only thing allowed to look Dylan in the eye. Wow. BVD Theater makes a strong comeback with that. <laughs> Love it. Um, so this bull mastiff was humongous. It was li- it like came up to Bob Dylan's chest or something. This thing was like the, one of the biggest. <laughs> it was like one of the biggest dogs that anyone had ever seen. To wit, um, in a in a another perfectly normal story that you and I can relate to, 
Um, George Harrison took Michael Douglas. Oh, we got two Michael Douglas things this year, but totally hey. coincidental. Okay, uh, took took Michael Douglas to have dinner with Bob Dylan. You know, just just palling around. Yeah, uh, you know. Michael Doug and Bob Dylan brought the dog into the restaurant. I guess they couldn't stop him from doing that. Michael Douglas called it the biggest dog that he's ever seen, and uh, and uh, and Bob, or excuse me, Michael Douglas was like, "Hey, fellas, let's start this party with some caviar." And Bob Dylan's bull mastiff dog named Brutus ate all the caviar right off the table. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> right in a move we all should have seen coming. <laughs> so that happened, and then the second story uh, about about the bull mastiff that is delightful is. Wait a minute. Did you say the word? Did you? No, you were saying Aubrey Hepburn. Anyway, Dylan. Not Fritz, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Dil- Hepburn. Yeah. Okay. Here's another Catherine Hepburn story. Um, no, I mean, it wasn't Catherine. It was Ros- Rosalind Russell. I was. Yeah, but you, but you, na- you, but you said the name. I did Catherine. name Catherine. Okay. All right. So, so let's yep. do it again. This time for real. Uh, Dylan rented a house in the in the late '80s next to Catherine Hepburn in New York City, <laughs> and uh, Brutus was known to poop huge dog turds in her flower yes. beds. In her flower beds all the time. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> Catherine, quote, was not happy. Let me just get that. that. Let me let me just see if that's what she said. I want to make... Hepburn was not happy yeah. with the huge dog turds in her flower beds. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah. So that's it. Oh, and uh, dogs, dogs feature in uh, 30 Bob Dylan songs, apparently. Somebody tallied all this stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, shout mean, out. It's written, it's written 45,000, so... Yeah, it's not a huge... It's not a great, uh, a great only, percentage only 15, wise. Only 15,000 of which are actually classic or, you know... Yeah. Traditional arranged by so. All right, what what do you have to? What are you doing here? You're just coming <laughs> in off the top rope about my, you know, coming over the top of my dog stories with some with some shade. That doesn't. That's not warranted. Oh, that's not warranted. <laughs> you know, you spend enough as as much time researching as you do trying to throw shade on Bob Dylan, and by extension, me. <laughs> this podcast did really go somewhere. Anyway, I thought you'd like. I thought you'd like that uh, very special Bob's Bula Bass. Uh, ending ending with dog poop. I think by very special you've been very long, Jake. Okay. Very long. All right. You know what? Never mind. I'm I'm quitting the podcast. Let's do some oh, points. Jake. Let's do some we points. No, that's not true. Yeah, you're hey, points. All right. Let's start it off with live. Well, we only played four shows, but Glastonbury 2000 is one of his most iconic concerts ever. Uh. Um, it's actually, it's Bowie's second Glastonbury. He played the first official Glastonbury. Yeah. Uh, first slash second. There was one in 1970, but it wasn't called Glastonbury yet. And mm. then 1971 was the first year it was called Glastonbury. And that was the one that Bowie did. Or, yeah, he, uh, he came on stage at like 5.30 a.m., get bumped and came out after smoking weed all night. <laughs> At 5.30 a.m. and played show. It has, was recorded, apparently. Some really drunk person, or Thai person, came, woman came up and tried to sing along with him. And yeah. I don't know. Bowie has claimed that, it will, that those, the tapes will never see the light of day ever. But yeah. I'm really curious. I want to I hear that. Yeah, come on. Come on. At some point, they'll get to the um, bottom of the barrel with Bowie's yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, let's... Good let's stuff, but some people have heard it. And, you know, it's only like... Let's do this. Anyway, 2000 was a gigantic... Barnstorming, greatest hits extravaganza. Uh, Jake, are you still there? Yeah, yeah you're there. Uh, sorry, something weird happened. But <laughs> you're still there. I'm here. Um, here's a quote that came with you know when when the show was released in 2018. 
Here's a quote they included. Glastonbury co-organizer Emily Evis commented, I often get asked what the best set I've seen here at Glastonbury is, and Bowie's 2000 performance is always one which I think of first. It was spellbinding. He had an absolutely enormous crowd transfixed. I think Bowie had a very deep relationship with Worthy Farm. He told some wonderful stories about his first time at the festival in 1971, when he stayed at the farmhouse and performed at 6 a.m. as the sun was rising. And he just played the perfect headline set. It really was a very special and emotional show. I'm crying just thinking about it. Yeah, I know. Emily's father, Michael, the founder of the festival, who first met David at Glastonbury in 1971, said... He's one of the three greatest of all time. Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, and David Bowie. <laughs> okay. Those two's absent from that list, Jake. Yeah, well, you know, I think we're making a leap. Not from... on that list of the greatest <laughs> ever, Jake. Yeah. Well, according anyway, to that uh, pool. Normally for this small of a number of shows, we wouldn't give them any points. But because of the gigantic, iconic, incredible nature of Glastonbury 2000 and how that's still resonating. Um, that one comes up all the time. We're giving it a half point for live. Sounds good. All right, livemill.com. This is an interesting release. It was live from 1997, recorded across multiple shows. Um, On the the live album itself is only 10 tracks, and all of those tracks are either from Outside or Earthling, which are his two most recent albums of the time. He chose not to put any older tracks on the live album, but we did perform some from them. Um, It's good. It's good. Originally, it came with a second disc, which was Remixes. Um, now when it just came out at streaming, it came with two bonus tracks that were released as an EP under the name, the Dow Jones index. Uh, cool. this is like a before and after thing from Jeopardy or not from Jeopardy from, uh, it's like, it's like the Brian Jones massacre that, uh, yeah, it, I don't know, but Bowie didn't release those other tracks under his own name, but they were included on live and wall. It's a good show. I like it. I'm giving it 1.5. Boom. 1.5 he's giving it. 1.5. Bowie hey. at the Beeb. Uh, this is a really Bowie great looking early Bowie. And hearing these different performances, these different interpretations, some of the songs of which were never there. Um, at the time it was released, all of the tracks, even on the three tickets disc version, all of them were unreleased. Woo. There's a, it's, it's a meaty, it's meaty, delightful. Meaty and delightful. There's a lot going on there. It's really good. And it's, you know, for a, a crowd starved for, you know, Bowie from this period. It's it's nice. I'm giving that a 2.5. So I feel like you should have done that review in in your your voice of the oh, early I, 70s. I Maybe, is there anything else you can talk about in that voice that just delights me to uh, know it? Bowie the Beeb, uh, this is, it's, a, it's very, very tasty, very tasty indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very tasty, very tasty indeed. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 I like that. <laughs> that's a good yeah, yeah, like that. I know that's, that's my favorite. Yeah. Your favorite of my voice yeah, by far. All right, uh, Mr. Rice's secret. All right. <laughs> I didn't watch Sweet this whole movie, Mr. Rice. as as indicated. Uh, it got mixed reviews. Yeah, it was originally supposed <laughs> to be. I don't know what happened with this one. Um, I think it was supposed to be better than what we, you know, than it sounds like. It was, you know, it's a kids movie. Okay, sure. Sure, sure. Um, dealing with, you know, like death, like, you know, this is dealing like, with mortality. It's like a kid all, who's like all kids' dying. movies tend to do. Right. Kids dying. Uh, from, I don't know, there aren't a lot of reviews. There isn't a lot to see about this. It always seems like he did a pretty good job. What I saw, like, was just, you know, it wasn't bad. I, I'm giving it a zero. I'm giving it, that, that's that. I'm giving it a zero. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's your show, man. No, we've been doing really well here. This is a good point year. Except, yeah. Jake. Oh. <laughs> I was going to just give you some congrats. I know. Okay. Uh, 
Bowie released Hours in 1990, oh. which is one of his worst albums. And two of the singles came out in 2000. Oh, oh. oh residual crappiness. I know. It really is nothing I hate when that happens. Of, of 2000, but here we are. They came out in 2000 because the album came out in like September or October of 99. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway. Yep. Uh, an, uh, an old sad story. An old sad story. That we've repeated so, many times. The first of his singles in 2000 was the second single from ours. It was Survive. It is a crappy mid-tempo dead rock song. <laughs> I give it a negative one. Oof. The wow. second is Seven. Seven. It is a crappy mid-tempo dead rock song. <laughs> I give um, it a negative one. He didn't name it Seven because that's what George on Seinfeld was going to name his kid, was it? I can only assume not. Okay. Too bad. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> Some people like ours, but not a lot of people. I think it's a really bad album. And it just completely comes out of nowhere. Because the albums on both sides are significantly better than it. It's just it's like this weird dip in the middle of everything. Unexpected badness. I don't know where it, yeah, I don't know where it comes from. But it's you know one of my least favorites, one of my bottom five Bowie albums. I don't know on that one. Anyway, thanks to those negative twos at the end. Yikes. We end things at a 2.5. Still respectable, but not as good as it should have been. Yep. 2.5. 2.5. Okay. All right. Well, for my portion, Bob just didn't do that much. Uh, like I said, he, he, did the, he did the single and he did the tour. Um, and I want to uh, – so I'll do, the, I'll do the tour first. So this is generally – this might be considered his very best – touring year he's got 112 shows whoa that's he's, a bold statement i mean his, uh of, of the of the never-ending tour i should oh, say the never yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. of the never-ending oh, yeah. tour yeah, yeah. and so uh sharp-eared listeners will note that my policy is usually you know if nothing else great happens then you know he gets a plus 0.5 for touring like a hundred times every year <laughs> but since this is 112 and it's generally considered the best one uh i think i'm gonna give it a give one, one i'm gonna give it a 1.0 let me give it a one point. He did 112 shows. <laughs> Not even the most he ever did. Uh, okay, and then I, I want to ask you about this single, Things Have Changed. Uh, it defined the year. It was, it was a big hit. It won an Oscar. Uh, our policy on this show is to give uh, up to a plus 2.0 for their most famous, most impactful songs. And while I don't think this is the most impactful song, I wonder if it's worth a 1.5. Yeah, whatever. Boys gonna win anyway, so do whatever you want. Well, actually, if it, if I got a 1.5, they'd be tied. Oh yeah. I mean, do you feel like I don't know? Like Bowie did more I, this year. I mean, my my honest my honest reaction would be that we've only given those extra points out to like truly amazing, unbelievably iconic songs. Right. That, like. They're ingrained in the fabric of American society. Yeah, okay. This is not one of those songs. All right, all right. That's so I'm inclined towards a one, completely honest. Okay, all right. So that gives that gives uh, Dylan a plus two, narrowly losing to Bowie at plus 2.5. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, now that's fine. That's fine. I'm just going to go, you know, punch myself in the face a few times. Cry into your pillow? Yeah. Wish I was, wish I was drinking beer like good. He says mission mission accomplished. <laughs> yes, only fifty. Another successful day for Charlie Beck. Charlie's like it only took fifty nine podcast episodes, but I finally broke him down. Hey, this is a long episode. Yeah, uh, we should finish it. Maybe. What Let's are we say. doing? What are we doing next time, though? 
Next episode is our 60th show. Whoa, that's special. Uh, Long-time listeners will know that when it comes to round-numbered anniversaries, we like to uh, mix things up a little bit, do something different, and do a list. Uh, For our 60th episode, we're going to be doing our top 10 deep cuts. Oh, I'm so pumped for this. So no all-time classic songs, no gigantic classic rock hits. Uh, a little bit off the beaten path. A little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know. Yeah. Track number seven on your favorite Bowie album. You know, that'll be the one. That's it. Right That's it. That's <laughs> just, just track seven. <laughs> All track sevens is what we're trying to say. Uh, unless your favorite album is Station to Station, that one only has six songs, so don't go with that one. <laughs> That's a bummer for you. <laughs> you're in trouble. You can't play. You can't play. We're sorry. <laughs> All right. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. We'll see you next time. Bye.